Welcome to the Living Room Podcast. The Living Room is the college ministry at Buckhead Church in Atlanta, Georgia. For more information, you can check out the Living Room ATL on Instagram. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this talk. I was um, standing on the side just listening listening to this amazing team lead. And um, when Casey sang that bridge where she was like, yo, I put my faith in Jesus, my anchor to the ground. It reminded me of 2008. And uh, if you are someone that studies history um, or is old enough to remember 2008, it's labeled as the Great Recession. Our economy crashed because of a housing bubble. People lost their homes. Companies lost millions and billions of dollars. And it was one of the worst economic downturns in American history. And uh, for me, I don't remember all of that. I remember a few months earlier coming home from basketball practice, had my gray sweatpants on and my gray sweatshirt on. I remember walking into my living room and my parents' small group leaders were sitting there. And after I had kind of decompressed, the small group leaders looked at me and my brother and said, hey, your dad's gone. Uh, the immigration officers, ICE, came to take him away today. They came for your mom, but your dad went instead. And for the next two and a half years, my dad wasn't home. And so while there was this global economic tragedy happening, there was personal chaos I was living through. And I believe that there are some people that are watching tonight that are saying, yo, COVID wasn't the worst thing that happened to me in 2020. The shutdown wasn't the worst thing that happened to me in 2020. Kobe dying wasn't the worst thing that happened to me in 2020. Losing my job wasn't the worst thing that happened to me in 2020. There was a moment in this year where I felt like I was going to lose my mind. I lost a family member. I lost a friend. I was betrayed. And so while the world is grieving this global, horrible moment, I am dealing with eternal, internal chaos and what I need to know is will I stand? Will I make it through what is personal chaos? Will I make it through to next week? What is going to keep me anchored? What is going to keep me stable? What is going to keep me here? And what Jesus promises that in this world we will have trouble Oh, but take heart, living room, take heart, for he has overcome the world. And so whether you are feeling the weight of a global crisis, whether you are feeling the weight of just racial chaos, whether you are feeling the weight of an emotional burden, whether you are feeling the weight of dealing with mental illness, I want to let you know that God says, take heart, for 
I have overcome the world. And it may not feel like it. And it may not look like it. Oh, but living room, we are anchored. Not by our strength, not by our wisdom, not by our own abilities. But we are anchored because our God hung. And so tonight, before we get into this message, I want to let you know that if you will put your faith in Jesus, I do not promise you an easier life. I do not promise you a pain-free life. What I do promise you is that your God will anchor you in the middle of chaos. Let's pray together. Dad, Dad, you know every story, every story of every person that is tuning in tonight and every person that will watch this later. God, I, I love that in Hebrews it says that nothing is hidden from your sight. In Psalm 139, David declares that, that, that every single day of our lives are written out in your book, that you've seen it all. And so God, I pray for whoever needs to be anchored, that you would be their solid ground. That I pray for anybody who needs courage to go into the unknown, to go into something new. I pray that you would be the wind in their sails. And for those of us who are not sure what we need, oh, we ask for your Holy Spirit to be our guide, to be the one that reveals all truth to us and that shows us the way that we should go. So we dedicate the rest of these moments that we have here to you believing that if it is external chaos or internal madness, that you are with us and you are what is anchoring us or pushing us forward. We love you and we trust you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. We are gonna have a good night. I need to wipe the tears and the snot out of my face real quick. So uh, while I do that, turn to the person sharing the room and the space that you're in and tell them they look good, even if they don't. Okay, maybe you're just speaking that in faith, believing that as you speak it, it's going to you know, manifest or whatever. Uh, what's up, guys? My name is Raisa Watsandila Kubandi, and I'm so glad to be back with you guys tonight. I think it is going to be, it's going to continue to be a special night. Uh, I, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to please listen to Pastor Matt's announcements, okay? So he talked about the opportunity to be in the room in a couple of weeks, and if you're able and you're comfortable and you feel okay about being in the room, I encourage you to be here. If you are someone that is like, yo, I'm not ready to be in the room. I want to stay in my room, okay, in my personal room. If you want to do that, that is great. That is amazing. But log in and watch, 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 because I'm telling you what, I've had amazing experiences with God, whether I'm in the church or in my bedroom, I have met God because he is everywhere. So I just encourage you to continue to engage. Also, if you are interested in ministry, right? If you're like, hey, I wonder what it's like, 
Do the internship. Sign up, get engaged. You will not regret it. You will not regret it. All right, so we're in week three of Walk It Like I Talk It, and I'm so excited because I love the Migos and I love Jesus, but not the same amount. Okay, there's, there's levels to this. And so tonight we're going to focus on the idea of favoritism, the idea of favoritism. And so uh, how many of you guys were the favorite child? If you were the favorite child, just put it in the chat. Make sure you're like, yo, I was the favorite. Everybody loved me, blah, blah, blah. Listen, I was related to the favorite child, okay? I, I lived with him. I went to school with him. I was related to the favorite child. And the, and the moment, there were many moments, there were many moments in my life where I realized that I was not number one, okay, that I was not the favorite. But there was one moment in particular, my junior year of high school. My brother and I had the exact same math class. It was at the beginning of the day. I rode the bus like a noob, and he had a ride in that would take him in every single day. And so I am riding the bus, and I get caught up in a conversation. And so I hear that, like, that warning bell ring, and I'm like, I think I got time. I'm fast. I'm quick. I can make it there. And then, so I'm running to my math class, and the bell rings, and I walking through the door, and I'm 1.4 seconds late, right? And my teacher's like, sorry, Risa, I got to give you a tardy slip, right? It was like my first tardy slip of the entire semester. She's like, here, I got to give you a tardy slip. I'm like, man, Ms. Jeffries, come on, man. You know you know how it is out here. I have breakfast. I was talking to the homies. Blah, blah, blah. She was like, no, you only get a tardy slip because rules are rules. Time is money. And I was like, you know what? You're right. I don't want to get special treatment. We're going to do the right thing, right? 15 minutes later, my brother walks into the classroom, walks through the front of the classroom, daps everybody up, like, what's up, what's up, y'all good, y'all good, yep, 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 looks at Ms. Jeffries, who's sitting at her desk, like, what's up, Ms. J, he's like, hey, Kevin, love you, I'm like, okay, cool, cool, and he sits down, and I'm sitting there waiting, like, this tardy slip is going to show up, right, like, this is going to, this is going to happen, the dude doesn't get one. And you know what I thought? Patriarchy. No, that's not what I thought. I was like, yo, this guy is the favorite, right? And all of us, all of us have experienced what it's like to be someone's favorite, right? And, and all of us have been hurt by seeing someone else getting preferential treatment because they are a favorite. And this is what James has to say about favoritism. This is how he describes it in James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. He says this. My dear brothers and sisters, fellow believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, how could we say that we have faith in him and yet we favor one group of people above another? Suppose an influential man comes into your worship meeting wearing gold rings, expensive clothing, and also a homeless man in shabby clothes comes in. If you show special attention to the rich man in expensive clothes and say, Here's a seat of honor for you right up front. But you turn to the poor beggar dressed in rags, saying, you can stand over there or sit over there on the floor in the back. They put him on the floor in the back. Is he even going to see the stage? It's horrible. Um, then you've demonstrated gross prejudice among yourselves. And you've used, stand, you've used evil standards of judgment. You've used evil standards of judgment. In this moment, 
James is talking about the type of favoritism that most of us, whether we believe in Jesus or not, would be like, yo, that's, that's dumb. Like, why would you mistreat someone, especially in the house of God? Like, why would you treat a wealthy person better than a poor person? Aren't we all equals? And so we look at this demonstration and this illustration that James gives, and we look at it thousands of years later and we say, yo, we wouldn't be caught dead doing that, right? We wouldn't be caught showing favoritism, treating certain groups of people better than other groups of people. But, but what if the reason that you treat people differently is not based on shallow things, but based on personal things? What if it's because you disagree politically, right? So, so for some people, politics is about policy, making rules, making decisions, blah, blah, blah. For other people, politics is about people. So when you vote, it's not just about saying, hi, I want the country to be ran differently, but it's saying, hey, you're speaking value or devaluing other people. I, for, for the sake of full disclosure, for me, I take every vote very seriously. And the reason that I take every vote very seriously is because I am what you would call a DACA recipient. And what that basically means is that I came to this country under the age of 16, and I am undocumented. I do not have a legal status in this country. So a few years ago, there was a law that was passed that allowed me to be able to work, that also allowed me to be able to pay taxes. Hello, if you've gotten a paycheck and you saw how much Uncle Sam took, you're like, yo, bro, who are you? Like, how are you doing this, right? It's allowed me to work. It's allowed me to get an apartment of my own. And so every single political cycle, it's not just about my friends casting votes, but in actuality, they are determining my future. And so when someone votes for someone that is anti-immigration, it's not just a policy policy issue, it's deeply personal. So how do I deal with learning to love someone who seems to be voting against my personhood? Maybe your thing is not politics. Maybe it's something else that, that seems like shallow for other people, but it is personal for you. And the question that we have to begin to ask ourselves is how do we learn to fight against favoritism, to, to fight against the desire to only be a part of the same circle of people? James gives us the remedy to this. The way that we fight favoritism is through love. James 2, verse 8 and 9 says, your calling is to fulfill the royal law of love as given to us in this scripture. You must love and value your neighbor as you love and value yourself. For keeping this law is the noble way to live. But when you show prejudice, you commit sin and you violate the royal law of love. There's a story in the Bible where Jesus is hanging out. He's teaching, right? And this lawyer shows up and asks Jesus, what is the most important law? What is the most important command? Jesus says, to love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And one is equally like it is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. The lawyer then asks a very simple question. Who is my neighbor? What he was asking in essence is who is worthy of my love? Jesus responds by telling the story. There was a man that was traveling on a road, on a dangerous road where the people were known to be robbed 
and hurt and assaulted. In, in, um, in South Africa, there's this thing that, that happens in certain uh, dangerous areas. If, if they want to rob you, if they want to jack your car, what they'll do is they'll lay a giant branch on the ground, right? This is what they did when I was a kid. I don't know if they still do it now, but they'd lay a giant branch on the ground. And so when the driver would pop out and try to move the branch, right, the thieves would come out. They would kill the driver, kill the passengers, and take the car. Right, And so my dad told the story about one time that he was driving through one of these townships and he saw the branch and he had two options, was either to stop and remove the branch or to drive through. And knowing what he knew, he drove through. But this man, this man was on a road just like this one that was full of danger, full of robbers. And he found himself in a situation where he was attacked where they stripped him of his robe, they stripped him of his wealth, they stripped him of anything that would identify him as somebody worth protecting. As he's lying there, bleeding, possibly unable to speak and unable to protect himself, he was obviously injured, there comes a priest. Now, if I'm him lying on the ground and I see a priest, I'm like, oh, thank God a priest is here. This dude is going to help me out. And when the priest recognizes that there's someone wounded and injured and lying there, what the priest does is he crosses the road and continues on. The next person comes by, it's a Levite. He, he works at the temple. He works in the house of God. Levites were, were special people because they were a part of a family line that were destined to serve in the house of God. They didn't own any property because they got paid by the tithes of the people. Levites were people that knew the law. Okay, the entire book of Leviticus talks about all these specific rules that they have to follow. These guys spent their lives in the presence of God. And as this man is walking down the street, he sees a man laying there. And what he does is he crosses the street and continues on. Jesus telling this story to a primarily Jewish audience and as they were hearing about a priest and a Levite ignoring the needs of someone, there had to have been shock, disappointment, confusion. Or maybe the people in the audience had grown used to religious people pontificating about the greatness of God while ignoring the needs of the people in front of them. I, I don't know. Then Jesus describes a Samaritan. Now, now to a Jewish audience, bringing in a, a Samaritan would be insulting because they, they were people that were less than. They were half Jewish and half something else. They were, they were half priests. They were not people to be like hang around with. In fact, people, the Jews hated Samaria so much that they would go out of their way, go around them in order to get to their destinations. And the Samaritan is walking on this road. And he sees this man bleeding, stripped of his outer robe. And the Bible tells us 
that he bandages this wounded man's wounds. He puts him on his donkey. He walks him to a motel. There he, he tells the innkeeper, hey, listen, listen, you take care of all of this man's needs. And if there's anything else that I owe you, I will pay you back when I return. What did this story, what was the purpose of the story? Jesus reveals it by asking a question to the lawyer. He says, who was the neighbor? Who was the person that showed love? The lawyer responds, uh, it's, it's the one that helped, the one that helped out. He wouldn't even say that it was the Samaritan that was the neighbor. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. How do we learn to love people that we disagree with? How do we learn to love people that we're not on the same page with? Number one, you meet the need that is in front of you. You meet the need that is in front of you. If you have the resources, if you have the, the ability, you meet the need that's in front of you. Number two, you treat everyone with value. You treat everyone with value. I was, um, when I was writing this, I was really wrestling with this idea, right? This idea of treating people well that mistreat you. Because I think that in 2019, I would have been like, that's a good word. I got to treat everybody well. Then I really started studying American history. And I really started investigating. And then, I, and then I read Nelson Mandela's autobiography. And then I started to understand what the Belgians did when they colonized the Congo. And then all of a sudden, for the first time in my life, and it caused this, this massive identity crisis, because you, you may not know my history, you may not know my story. When I, when I grew up, I went to a private Jewish school, so I was surrounded by mostly white Jewish people. When I moved to America, I, went, I lived in Johns Creek, so I was surrounded by mostly white people and Asians. When I went off to ministry school and do an internship, I was surrounded by mostly white leaders, and I had uh, Hispanic peers. And so for my whole life, I'd always grown up around the idea that as long as I am excellent, I will always be seen as worthy. But then over the course of six months, I started reading over and over again about the idea of my excellence was not enough to some people because all they would ever see was a woman, was all they would ever see was an undocumented immigrant, all they would ever see was a black person. And then all of a sudden, this idea of loving people that mistreat you became something that was uncomfortable. And as I stand here on the stage, I'm trying to be really careful to make sure that I articulate myself in a way that is clear. I'm telling you that in heaven, there will be no more poverty. So while I'm here on earth, I will fight against it. In heaven, there will be no more injustice. So while I'm here on earth, I will fight against injustice. I'm telling you, in heaven, I will not be mistreated. So while I'm here on earth, I will learn to show mercy. 
James says this, James chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. So we must both speak and act in every respect, like those who were destined to be tried by the perfect law of liberty. You know what happens when we begin to show love to people who don't deserve it? We become free from the bondage of other people's expectations. We could become free from the bondage of other people's misbehavior. This perfect law, this perfect law brings freedom. And so love will not always look the same. Raisa, how do you know that? Because Jesus was love. He was love personified. He was God in human flesh. And while Jesus walked on the earth, he saw a woman that was caught in the very act of adultery. And in that moment, when everyone thought that she should be stoned, what did Jesus do? He protected her. That was love. But that same Jesus, when he walked into the temple and they had turned the temple, the house of God, into a place where people were misused and mistreated, what did he do? Yo, Jesus, this was, this was so G. If you really think about it, Jesus walked into the temple. He saw people being taken advantage of. He walked out of the temple. He went to go pull off some reeds and he formed a whip. So he was methodical about this. It wasn't a, a burst of outrage that was not thought through. He, he formed a whip and he went back in there and he drove out the merchants. And so that was also love. Love bends down in mercy and love fights injustice. And when this is telling us like, yo, we're going to be judged by this perfect law, God is calling us to do both. And this is what it says in verse 13. And remember that judgment is merciless for anyone who judges others without mercy. So by showing mercy, you take dominion over judgment. A life of mercy diffuses judgment. A life of mercy shines. The life of mercy reflects the heart of God. A life of mercy can change the world. One of my favorite historical figures, and if the keys player can come out so we can land this plane, one of my favorite historical figures is a man named Nelson Mandela. He wasn't perfect by any means. He was married three times, maybe four by the time he passed away. He spent 26 years of his life in, pre in prison where he got a law degree from a university in London. He won the Nobel Peace Prize, spoke at Harvard. He uh, became the first black president of South Africa. And after his time was up after a term or two, instead of running again when the whole nation was like, we want you to keep running, he gave up the right to be president in order to let somebody else lead the way. What I love about Nelson Mandela's life is that after spending 26 years in prison because he was fighting against injustice, 
he comes out and says, not even says, but he starts to do the work of reunifying a country. He invites people to the table that if I'm being honest, would have been sitting under the table to get crumbs. But the reason that Nelson Mandela's birthday is celebrated years after he died is because he learned to live a life of mercy. This is a radical invitation and it's not for everyone. It's one of those things that I honestly believe that the, that the Holy Spirit's gonna have to take you on a personal journey with. And here's the thing about our God. He's not manipulative. He's not gonna guilt trip you into something. He's not gonna make you, like just beat you into submission. He's gonna invite you into things. And as you say yes to the invitation, he's going to empower you to accomplish the thing he's called you to do. I wish there was a way for me to fully express how much I want you guys to know that I'm not saying that some of the things that you have experienced that were unfair and wrong, that, that, that those things were okay. They weren't. I'm not saying that you should reinvite those people that caused you all of that pain and all of that hurt and all of those wounds back into your life. For some of you, that may not be an option. It may not be the healthy thing for you to do. I'm not ignoring I'm not ignoring the history of this nation and of nations around the world. I'm not ignoring any of those things. What I'm inviting you to do is to learn to live a life of radical mercy. Is to learn to love people so much that you can see them for who they are and love them as they are. And sometimes love is protecting. Sometimes love is, is calling things out for what they are. Sometimes love is driving out darkness. But this is an invitation and it's a choice that you're gonna have to make over and 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 over again in your life. And there'll be times where God is gonna ask you to be merciful to someone. You'll be like, yo, I, I just don't have it in me. And in that moment when you admit your limitation and your weakness, God will begin to strengthen you in order to be able to do what he has called you to do. But if you choose a life of mercy, it's going to, to diffuse judgment. You will no longer have to carry the weight of thinking you know what everyone else thinks, of thinking you know what everyone else's motives were, but instead you can walk in the freedom and in the joy of being able to be who you are no matter how toxic they are.
You'll be able to be kind even if they're cruel. You'll be able to be wise even if they're foolish. You'll be able to be strong even if they're weak because you're no longer living based on reacting to them, but you're living based on this anchor that is Jesus. Jesus was still Jesus when he fed 5,000 and he was still Jesus when he hung naked on the cross and he was still Jesus when he walked on water and he was still Jesus when he had his beard plucked out of his face and he was still Jesus as he told his mother, that, hey, this is your new son because I won't be around anymore. And he was still Jesus when he ascended into a cloud in heaven. And he's still going to be Jesus when he shows back up with a tattoo on his side and a sword in his hand. And that every enemy of heaven will be destroyed. Every injustice will be dealt with. Every single thing that someone has ever done to mistreat another human being will be handled by this same Jesus. So no, we do not serve a God that is passive. No, we do not serve a God that is indifferent. No, do we not serve a God that is okay with discrimination. No, we do not serve a God that is okay with human trafficking. No, we do not serve a God that is okay with kids going hungry. No, we do not serve a God with the evil growing in wealth. No, we do not serve a God that watches and is indifferent. No, we serve a God that is on time. We serve a God that loves. We serve a God that is passionate. We serve a God that is here. And if you you would just hear what I am saying. If you would listen to me, I'm telling you right now, our God cares, our God sees, our God hears, and there is coming a day where judgment will be released. And for some of us, it will be a day of joy, but for others, it will be a day of grief. And I'm begging you, if you can learn to show mercy, you'll reflect this heart. And some people will get the opportunity to bow their knee by choice, to confess their sins. Oh, because if, if God can, can turn a Saul into a Paul, he, he can work with me. If God can, can work with David, he can work with me. If God can work with Rahab, he, he can work with me. And I know some of these names you don't recognize, but Saul killed Christians and he became an evangelist. Rahab was a prostitute and she became a descendant of Jesus. David was wrong in so many different ways. It's too long to list it, but he was still someone that was chosen by God. And it is God's mercy. Romans tells us this, it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. So right now, as we close out my portion of the evening, what I want to do is I want to invite you into a moment to have a conversation with God. Do you need strength to be merciful? Do you, do you need to, do you need wisdom? to try to figure out what's happening right now? Do you need peace in the middle of this chaos? Do you need hope? Do you need hope because you've lost it all? Do you need joy because you've forgotten how to, to really laugh? Do you need protection because you feel vulnerable? Not the good vulnerability that happens between 
you and your best friend know the kind of vulnerability that makes you feel like you've been taken advantage of? Do you need protection? Whatever it is that you need, I ask you just to join me in this moment of prayer and to say, God, I need you. I need you. I need you. I need you to be my peace. I need you to be my strength. I need you to be my wisdom. I need you to be my direction. I need you to be my hope. I need you. And as the band plays and as they lead us through the song, I want you to have a conversation with God. But but I don't want you to leave it there. I want you to reach out to your small group leader. I want you to reach out to the person that, that told you about tonight or to leave a comment and say, yo, I need to talk to someone. DM us. We will, we will find you, but not in like the weird way, but in the good way. We'll find you and we'll talk to you. Because here's the thing about the God that we serve is that even though he created Adam and gave him a perfect world with his presence, he said it's not good for man to be alone. So he made another human to be his companion. If Adam could not be good by himself, if it was not good for Adam to be by himself in a perfect world filled with the presence of God, what makes us think that we can be good by ourselves? So I invite you to invite someone else into this moment that you're having. First meet with God, then reach out to a friend. Because whatever it is that you need, it is found in the context of the presence of Jesus. And it is reaffirmed and strengthened in the context of community. Jesus, we love you so much. Holy Spirit, I, um, you know what I need today? I need hope. I need hope. I need to know that um, that you're not going to just let people keep doing bad things and get away with it. So I need hope. And uh, I need your power to love well. Not love conditionally, because that comes easy. But I need your help to love well. And so God, as as we sing these songs, strengthen me to do that. And tomorrow morning, when I feel this way again, strengthen me again. So God, we love you. God, we trust you. We thank you for who you are. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. If you want to stay connected, follow us on Instagram at the Living Room ATL. Remember, TLR fam, we love you, we're for you, and we'll see you next time.